Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. So over the weekend, one of the most massive drops happened and it was very successful as far as the amount that was sold. This powerhouse drop actually brought in $35 million worth of Ethereum with the uh, revenues that were generated during the whole thing. And this would be something to really celebrate after seeing some really down periods and mints not going well. Here comes this huge drop and the team should celebrate. However, they cannot. Unfortunately, all $35 million are locked into the smart contract and the team cannot access any of it. Today, we're going to discuss how this happened and what projects should learn going forward and how these things could be avoided or at least mitigated. So we're going to really dive into this as a case study. So this massive project, Acutars or Acutas, depending how you pronounce it, where you're from, I say Acutars because that the R is there. However, some people are saying without the R. But this massive drop had wonderful 3D art. It was very cool to look at. It was visually pleasing. It was aesthetic. And they had a massive team behind it as far as celebrities, influencers. They had funding. It was just it seemed like everything was really going well. However, once everything started to mint and they had this sale via a Dutch auction. And if you're not familiar with Dutch auctions, I did a whole episode about that. Episode number 144. And I go into how a Dutch auction typically works. A auction is normally the highest bidder wins it, but a Dutch auction actually works out a little bit differently. It goes into all the details in that episode. So feel free to listen to that one. But that was what was going on in this one. And they tried to do it like a typical Dutch auction, unlike what we've been seeing in Web3, because I was very critical in episode 144 about how we've been seeing it done. Here is the downside or the dangers of doing it the correct way as far as doing a true Dutch auction. In order to get that at the right price for what it's being set at, there has to be some sort of way to level out if someone overbid for the particular item. And in this case, they offered a refund. So they had this whole thing built into the smart contract that whatever it would sell out at, if anyone overpaid, they would automatically get back their refund and the team could not withdraw any of the funds until those people got their refunds. Now, this sounds a little bit complicated. However, it really is explained the whole Dutch auction process in episode 144. So I'm not going to go into all of that again. But it sounds like a good thing that the team was actually ensuring that the people would get back their refund before they could access any of the funds. However, once they written to the code, how it could all uh, this could take place and all these transactions would be automated. They unfortunately made several mistakes in not counting the number of refunds correctly because the, the way it was written is, as we know, one wallet or one person can mint multiple NFTs. And one of the issues that they actually had in the code is they set the number of NFTs as the number of refunds that has to take place before the team could withdraw those funds. And obviously, because one person has multiple NFTs, it's never going to match. And because of this, th that number <laughs> for that maximum mint number is never going to be reached. It is on the blockchain. It cannot be changed. And there's really no way around this because they cannot trigger it to get those numbers up high enough to let the smart contract know that every one of those mints have received their funds. Now, some people say, this is absolutely ridiculous. This is why computers are stupid. And this is a whole a horrible thing. However, remember, computers only do what the code tells it to do. So this is actually a coding error. So what can we learn from all of this? Well, first and foremost is that 
you should never cut corners with a developer. And it was one of those things that I, I say in business that a good lawyer or a good accountant is worth their weight in gold. They will save you money from litigations and tax liability and all sorts of things. So if the best accountant that you know, this is absolutely the best accountant in the world and they're going to quote unquote overcharge you, look at that to, okay, yeah, sure. You can have your uncle Bob or whoever that does um, bookkeeping and taxes do your paperwork. But then when you're hit with a massive liability to the government, then you're going to say, wow, I wish I went with a high paid CPA that could have reduced this. Going back to this whole thing, not cut corners with a developer. Sure, you can find a kid or an intern or someone that could just do this, knock this up overnight for pennies. And this is really something that I even see in uh, the whole Web 2 space way before developing and Web 3 and all of this is people want to find people in developing nations and undercut those people, not the experts in those nations. They will actually go to students and they are willing to develop whatever it is for a fraction of the cost of a high paying developer. And because of this, there's messy codes, things break and all sorts of things. However, in Web 2, you can get away with that. You have a website that you're say you're selling T-shirts from or it's a blog or whatever it might be, if the code breaks, then okay, you'll fix it along the way. You might be bootstrapping it. You might be someone starting this company out of your garage. You have limited funds. And if something breaks, you can always update the theme or update the code or redesign the site or whatever it might be down the road and scale with the number of customers. You cannot, and I repeat, you cannot do that in Web3 because these contracts on Ethereum are immutable, which means that they cannot be changed. Now, there's some debate about, well, should they be immutable or should you have these contracts that could be manipulated and changed down the road like a fluid contract and all that but this whole thing is that we have this blockchain there is a trustless system and it requires this code to be immutable it cannot be changed nobody down the line can say you know what forget this refund stuff we just want to withdraw our funds right now and uh, run away with the money because that is opening the door for a lot more scamming rug pulls and all of that but when you look at this code you know that it's immutable and can obviously see that, okay, if the refunds are not issued, the team cannot get it, and there's no way they could change that, that sounds like a good thing. And that is where the trust actually comes from. You're not trusting in the honest and integrity of the team. You're trusting that the code will do what the code is designed to do. And it did do that. However, it was just bad code. So what teams should definitely learn from this is hire the best developer. They had a lot of funds behind them, but it seems like they cut a lot of corners and tried to speed up things. From what I'm understanding, I'm reading through some of these threads and some of these uh, developers that were reaching out to them, even white hat hackers that actually got into the code and uh, froze the mint and all sorts of different things. And they were saying, look, you have a major problem with this code, shut it down. And they didn't do that. So it's unfortunate that they had to uh, learn this uh, very expensive lesson, but the good thing is that all of us that actually are seeing what is going on can understand that, okay, these are the mistakes that they made. How can I not make those? How can I avoid that and just do this in a better way? Because it really seems like they didn't even do a test net run of all of this stuff to really ensure that the contract was up to par. And it was really just two lines or so that caused all of this problem. There were some other issues 
nephews that were during the mains because, as I said, someone froze the whole thing and they got into the smart contract. However, the major thing is this team has no access to these funds right now. And so going forward, we know that's the funds that is supposed to really fund the rest of the project and the roadmap and help the team to expand and uh, keep the operation going. However, the team has committed saying that, yes, they're going to continue to do it because they have that backing, they have the funding, and however, they're hoping that somewhere down the line they could figure out a workaround or how to get those funds unlocked, but as of right now, it really looks like they're in there forever. There is no way to get that out because somehow they have to figure out how they can trigger that code to raise up the number of transactions on it. And there's no way to increase the number of NFTs. Again, that's what this whole immutable thing is. We know that the supply of the NFTs cannot be changed. You can't add more to that specific contract. Once a maximum is reached, that is it. That is a finite supply. And that's why these things have value. It's not fiat currency where the government can just release more uh, funds into the system and the Fed will release another trillion dollars at the drop of a hat. Not even a swipe of the pen. It's like a click on a computer at this point and it's flooding money into the system. Well, you you cannot do that with NFTs. You cannot do that with immutable objects, with finite numbers, because the code is what's determining all of that. And no matter how much emotion these founders have, say, wow, we really need these funds. We have regret and we have all this stuff. We should have, could have, would have. However, the only thing that they can do is figure out how they can actually interact with that contract and use it correctly. So right now you had developers and uh, white hat hackers and uh, auditors and all sorts of people studying this code like it is a university textbook because number one, they want to see what went wrong and how can they avoid this. But also they're trying to help the team to trigger this code so that they can get the funds. And it is absolutely absolutely crazy. And I'm looking at this and just trying to understand all of the different things that went in. As I said earlier, that normally there is a thing called a test net. See, the main network, or as the main net is called for Ethereum, that's where we are typically transacting. Anyone that's collecting and, and doing all the stuff, OpenSea, and when we're minting and all of that stuff, it is happening on the main network. That's where you're paying the real Ether token, you're paying the gas fees and all of that. However, there is testnet where you can put the contract on there, you can mint, you can do all the stuff and you're using fake tokens. It is not real money, but you're just seeing how everything works to make sure that the contract is doing what the contract should do, trying to find loopholes. And what they actually even do is they write codes. So contracts that interact with the contract. So this is what we would call a bot. When we talk about, oh, bots are just spamming and they're minting out all the stuff and you can't keep up with it because these computers are really just operating at rapid speed. You can even do that and get it to do mints and all that. So you can test it out to see, okay, can it handle this? What will happen if we have 10,000 requests trying to mint this at the exact same time? Well, what if someone uh, decides to overcharge on the, or raise the gas prices? Or what if someone adds this into their smart contract that's trying to interact with our smart contract? Will it crash the system? What if a user tries to do uh, this while another user is trying to do that? And they're testing all of these scenarios that could possibly break the contract or make things go wrong, whether it means stalling the mint or it messes up the funds or draining the contract. Sometimes you'll hear certain things like, during the mint, the funds were drained from the wallet. How could that possibly happen? Was that written to the contract? Like the developer put a back door in there so that way the 
funds actually slipped out to their personal wallet or what? Trying to figure out all of that stuff to see if it's in the contract, if someone can try to do something that's malicious and any possible hack or hole that you can think of, they try to run it under normal circumstances. And this is not just a Web3 thing. This is when Facebook is rolling out a new feature or Netflix or Visa, MasterCard, a, a bank or anything really, any kind of major company that's rolling out some sort of technology. They try to do all this troubleshooting stuff and all this white hat hacking and trying to figure out what if a user that doesn't know how to do this happens to click this and... They, they try to work out every scenario. There is always going to be some scenario that the team never thought about and just something pops up. But this is a pretty glaring and obvious thing. It didn't really take much. And I'll even put a tweet in the show notes, which is actually a breakdown of all of the things that happened. And there were multiple warnings from various developers. And they were saying in it, because once they interacted with the smart contract, they left a note in the contract saying, hire a good developer. And just all of all. You know, there was so many red flags and it's unfortunate that this team had to lose so much money, but it really makes me scratch my head and wonder how could such a well-funded team just cut such a huge corner like out of anything? I mean, why cut on the development? Why cut on the developer and the actual testing of the contract, getting it audited? That, that is the most important thing. So any team that is getting ready to launch or anyone that's trying to venture into this whole world of developing smart contracts or whatever it is, definitely looking to the Akitars or Akutas drop and try to figure out what you can learn from this thing, because this is the type of thing that's going to be taught for years to come. With that said, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? It's just, it's unfortunate. It really is. It's just really sad because if it were me, I know I would be just heartbroken as a founder to think you finally had your day, your thing is getting launched, and then this happens. So what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Feel free to tweet at me, at Tropic Vibes. And as usual, I want to thank you for taking this time, spending it with me, listening to this, sharing with your friends, rating, reviewing, all that stuff that you guys have been doing to support and I look forward to the next one. So until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.